We're running a little behind, but so just like to ask for a sprinkling of responses. Well, I'd like to take, thank all the speakers because I was very moved and inspired what you what you said. And one thing I wanted to add when we're thinking about a new economy is that we look at the assumptions we use in building the economy. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we need jobs, and I say, why? Do we really? For me, that's an assumption that we are using. And the power of the assumption can we, we can see when we look at the old economy, which one of the assumptions of the old economy is there's scarcity. Once we have this assumption, we need to have a competitive economy to fight for this assumption, uh, for the scarce resources. So that's what I want to sort of point out. Look out at the we need Thank to you. analyze and look at the assumptions Thank we're using. Thank you. Um, this comment is um, mainly directed to David, but also the rest of the panel. Um, given that there's been a global suppression on the true state of things regarding industry like animal agriculture, um, you know, given the extent of how destructive this industry is on the planet in terms of land clearing, water use, greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity loss, um, lives lost as well. Um, why haven't organisations, including Greenpeace, been at the forefront of disseminating this information in an unfiltered way to the public and then giving the, the public and the consumers the option, uh, an ed educated choice as to what decisions they're going to take in terms of what industries they are supporting? Uh, uh, Silla Kinross from Orange. I have a, a question which is for Michelle. Is that, is that the right time to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, coming with the background from Europe, I've noticed that uh, in most of Europe, particularly in uh, Great Britain and Ireland, over 90% of the forest has gone. Um, there's, there's, uh, even in other parts of Europe, there's very little remnant forest left. So the, I, I'm, I'm concerned that the... Uh, that there's a danger using the argument of ecosystem services um, because Europe, a lot of people in Europe still live what they consider to be the good life, even though they've destroyed nearly all their ecosystem services in that part of the world. I'd like a, a comment on that, if that's possible. Um, so look, um, Greenpeace has a sustainable agriculture campaign. Um, you can't work on everything at all times, but if you're interested at the moment, we're doing some stuff around land clearing in Queensland. Um, we work on sustainable agriculture in Indonesia, the Amazon, I mean, all around the world. So um, you, you can't do everything, but we certainly work on sustainable agriculture. But I guess uh, harking on the um, theme of uh, political cooperation, I think the challenge is what does a shared vision look like? What does a vision look like for, say, a wonderful place like the Kimberley? And I'm so struck um, by some of your words, um, those critical things that bring us together. So if we take um, Dr Polina's exhortation to look for those critical things that bring us together, I guess my question would be, in places in Australia where there uh, is still agriculture, what are the things that bring us together? What are the things that can unite different strands of our wonderful country um, in a common agenda for the common good. I just wanted to add to that. It, it doesn't seem to be that we're making the best decisions about where we should be having a moratorium on those areas that are prime agricultural areas. 
why are we blowing up the Liverpool Plains and coming to the Kimberley, which is Savannah system, which the Northern Development Task Force and the National Yields Project said, do not look at the North as the next food bowl. It's a finger bowl. We've got a lot of water, concentrated period of time, and no capacity for storage. What is coming is going to be extensive um, fertiliser and all of these sorts of things, which is going to destroy the Fitzroy River. So we as Australians need to be thinking about where do we keep and maintain the moratorium on our prime food agricultural sources. We need to understand that northern development must be totally different to southern development. We have the lessons from the Murray-Darling Basin, and I think one of the things is we need to learn, remember what I said, the past, the present and the future fused into this moment in time. We should not be replicating the damages that have happened in the south around intensive agriculture, but we must be maintaining those prime agricultural areas that are the food bowl of this nation. Food security and water security, this is a, so critical. So I think we need to be having a conversation. And yes, it is all about politics and it is about the politics of people. And I think when we mobilise and stand together, we can protect these areas, but do not look at the North as the next food bowl. Thank you for the question about the ecosystem services. Um, from, from anyone who doesn't know what ecosystem services are, they were, it's a concept deliberately designed by scientists who in the States were working through some stuff and they realised that most of the community didn't understand what the natural world provides for us as people. And then they actually designed a very good communications campaign where they tried to get the concept and its understanding and, and structure into the public domain. In a nutshell, what it tries to do is explain to people the services that are provided, say, by a forest on a hillside, so that rather than take that forest out um, and do something developmental, um, you can save the forest and it will provide all these services to the water catchment, to the preservation of soils, etc. The idea is sort of okay because it bridges a gap between people who know nothing about what nature is or does um, and a place where you actually appreciate the earth for its actual inherent worth and its beauty and the fact that it's our home. The problem, I think the biggest problem with ecosystem services is that it's been taken over, like many other concepts, it's been taken over and the monetization side of it has been abused. So it's led to offsets we can say that, well, this forest does all these amazing things and it's got this financial value. Therefore, if we hack it down, we'll only take this much financial value to put it out somewhere else. And I mean, that's kind of conflating two concepts, offsets and ecosystem services. But for many of us, we believe the time has come and gone, if it was ever here at all, where we should put financial value on the services that the natural world provides to sustain life. And it's kind of what I was talking about with my talk and what other cultures get inherently. You don't work backwards into the, 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 the health of the earth that way. You value what is around us. We value what it gives us, um, that we're part of it, that it keeps us alive. You don't then slice and dice it, give it a financial value, and then use that as an excuse to cut it all down. So I think ecosystem services can be a good concept for the kinds of corporate types who don't get that nature has a value. Um, it, it's a bridging conversation to help people understand why you might keep certain things. But humanity has to move way past that narrow concept of, of the value of nature and return to a truly sacred appreciation of life on Earth. Without an understanding of that, then I think we're going to be continuing to create false solutions in our economic space. That's my thought on that. <laughs> I'd really like to... To sort of echo that idea of the importance of exploring bridging conversations between some of the gulfs you can feel are present in the room between what 
how much is enough change, what kind of change counts. And there are lots of specific panels coming up later that pick up on the themes of valuing nature um, and this political conflict over systemic change. Thank you very much to our panel.